0: Like these kinds of things very quickly as instruments of an institution become coercive. Yeah. Because the institution has a lot of concerns, like the, you know, if it's private, there's concerns about enrollment, about projecting a certain image of success. And a lot of the kind of freedom that students need create liabilities for the institution. And unschooling would be the only environment where those liabilities aren't there, where there's no, there's no institutional concern overriding the concerns of, of the individual learner. The biggest thing we lose, the number one thing we lose if schools shut down or if everyone starts
1: unschooling, is the incredible wealth of knowledge that teachers have, not so much about their subject area, but about how children are uh, and how
0: children proceed through life. Right. Welcome to the Unexamined Education. My name is Jonathan Ali, and as always, I'm joined by my friend, Sean Dalrymple. In our conversations, we draw upon our experience as educators to gain insight into the essence of teaching and learning. We hope that our discussions inspire and benefit you, whether you are a teacher, administrator, student, parent, or anyone else that understands the importance of education in the life of the human being. Good morning, Sean. Good morning, John. So today, in in this episode, we're going to address the question for our listeners who have been following the previous episodes they might have arrived at a point where they're thinking well these guys have a lot of criticism of school they don't seem to like the education system so they must be unschoolers right right whatever that is right (laughs) yeah well (laughs) yeah And so we're going to talk about unschooling and homeschooling today, you know, to the best of our ability and knowledge about those movements and what we see as the difference between school and homeschool and unschool. And and we actually think that we might disagree on some of this stuff here.
1: So this is an important episode where maybe, just maybe, we won't see eye to eye.
0: Yeah. So stay tuned for that. (laughs) And also on that note, uh, we've recently started establishing our social media accounts as Unexamined Education. So uh, on Instagram, we're at Unexamined Education. On Twitter, we're at Unexamined ED.
1: Unexamineded.
0: Yeah, Unexamineded. <laughs> and one thing, one really valuable thing, I think, about this is it can create a channel and a forum for us to interact with our listeners. So to our listeners out there, we really want to hear from you. So you can find us on Twitter and Instagram and and. Uh, message us there. Also, you can email us at unexaminededucation at gmail.com. We've also set up a Facebook page. Sean, you've been mostly managing that. Well, yeah, I've been I've been reaching out through my personal
1: Facebook page to to see if I can get some traffic over to the podcast, and it's been great to to catch up with some of some of the former colleagues and former students. I, but it also made me super self conscious of like have have we been have I been so critical that I might. Regret some of the ways that we're we're talking about this, because I remember in the i don't know it was one of the first episodes where I said that you know we we definitely appreciated the uh, support we had at the school where we worked, but for that support to continue on. 10 to 15 years later, that's, I mean, these are some incredible people. And so I want to, like, clarify, <laughs> because I know, like, <laughs> yes. maybe the top compliment I gave was that people <clears throat> aren't evil in schools. <laughs> but, <laughs> no, you, but, you, you said more than that. I mean, I in, more in a than positive that. way. Okay, that's good, yeah. that's good. Because, yes, I'm I'm feeling right now that there are just some, some wonderful human beings out there that are just supportive of anything we can do to to make education better.
0: Yeah, 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 I agree. And of course, we in these discussions, because we're trying to be honest, we're trying to be critical in a productive way. We do have to balance between saying, you know, what we believe, which it may not be what people want to hear sometimes. And also the fact that we are educators, who have, we have colleagues, we have students, we're part of communities, right? And, and so there's a balance there. And we, if I can speak for both of us, we're both very sensitive to that balance. And so we don't want to egregiously criticize anyone or any school or any, any system. And in fact, we mostly, I think what we tried to talk about is the system in general, right? And, and so whatever schools we're involved in are just examples of, of, of that system. So, you know, we're not talking about particular schools, but we do work in particular schools. So anyway, that's a balance that we'll, we'll try to, to maintain in a, yeah. in a good way, yeah. You know, another thing that happened on Twitter, like I was saying, the value of of hearing other voices and opinions is. I, I realized that in our in the episodes that we've recorded so far, one danger that we could very easily sink into is an echo chamber, but like a echo chamber of two people, <laughs> which is right. even worse than a normal normal echo chamber. <laughs> right. <laughs> the worst. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so uh, that's why we also teased the fact that you know hopefully we'll have some healthy disagreement in this episode. But I think the, the best solution to that is for us to hear from our listeners. If you hear something that we talk about and you have a different point of view on that or you feel like there's something that we neglected to consider, that you contact us and, and let us know. And, and we'll, we'll definitely address those things and, and try to have a more complete discussion based on that feedback. And in that vein, I just want to give a shout out to a Twitter user who I had some good exchanges with on Twitter, and it was great to hear the feedback that he had. So the, the Twitter handle is at JamesHE38822920, <laughs>
1: <laughs> which we'd like to...
0: Is that a star date for the birthday? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe so. So... One is appreciation for the the feedback and the interaction. another is just a a, a friendly request to shorten your your Twitter handle. <laughs> take some of those numbers off of it so that it's easier to give you a shout
1: out. James is the first one who's like outside of our circle, right. The first downloads and things, of course, are coming from friends and family, and he's the first one where we were like, "Who's this guy?" <laughs> right and it's pretty in uh, a good way yeah yeah (laughs) yes in a good way we're like (laughs) we're we're like okay we're we're maybe getting out there so yeah yeah. thanks james so
0: yeah yes yeah so it's exciting so if you are listening to this podcast and you're not part of our circle of family or friends you know that we directly introduced to it but you found it some other way please let us know also everyone please give us your your feedback so with that let's get into the discussion for today which, you know, like we said, has to do with the difference between the schooling system, the homeschool movement and the unschooling movement. And, and where the things that we've talked about so far, the critique of, this, of the education system, where does it fall in this, this spectrum of ideas? The spectrum of in the case of homeschool and unschool, these are critiques of the, the education system. And also just to connect this back to the social media thing. And this is something we can, I think, get into more deeply in, in a future episode. But I hadn't been on Twitter in a, in a long time. And so when I went on there, and this was the first time I searched, you know, I started exploring the Twitter education space or people who are discussing teaching, discussing education, discussing schools. And there's a variety of perspectives there, but they fall into, you know, into certain camps. And I did get the distinct feeling that the point of view that I felt most matched our podcast was uh, the point of view given by the unschooling accounts, right? So I think there is there is a, a lot of overlap between the critique that, that we're giving and the critique that the unschooling movement has. I think all of this stuff started with
1: homeschooling. Everyone who kept their kids at home were just homeschoolers for a while. But now there's right. this distinction of unschooling, uh, which is moving away from the homeschooling from the sense that you're not concerned about a specific curriculum. You're not just trying to move the structure of the school into the home and have a school at home. Uh, You are fundamentally questioning the the structure of uh, schooling, which, of course, we do quite a lot of here. so Right. But I I kind of think that... Are we getting into it now, John?
0: Yeah, let's get into it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, like one question I can say for you, Sean, is that like one distinction that, you know, between the two of us personally is that my family, we have been homeschooling uh, our children, right. uh, mostly. Our kids right. have gone to school for a couple of years each, give or take. But the majority of the time that they've spent growing up is in a homeschooling environment. And I would say even more closely to an unschooling environment, but not out of any necessarily ideological motivations, but just out of practicality. Right. Uh, right. But also... It's really hard to run a
1: (laughs) homeschool. (laughs) Right. Right.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's really, you know... This is one thing I'll say about homeschooling is that if you're trying to when because we started off trying to do that, we tried to create a school structure at home and use that structure to educate our children. But it's really difficult because that structure is based on having the resources of a school, right? Like right. having a, a faculty, having all the you know materials and books and, and everything that 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 lend themselves towards structuring your your program that way. And one of the first things that you run into is you realize that you're at such a disadvantage, right? Yeah. Uh and, and so that's what we ran into and so we settled on unschooling. <laughs> 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 well but also, you know, we we liked the ideas, the you know the basis basis for it. But I think you your situation, Sean, is is probably that's that's something that you would be unlikely to, to consider. Is that correct? Right.
1: Yeah. I'm I'm unlikely to consider it. For me it's more about making sure that my my children, eventually, but right now I just have one child in school, that she's comfortable with the school, and it seems to be a place that's going to nourish her, yep. her growth, intellectually and physically. Right. Just finding the right school. I, I I recognize that that's a privilege that not everyone has, and it's I think it's a not even necessarily a privilege based on wealth all the time, uh, so much as it is on insider knowledge. Mm-hmm. Uh, So I feel like you can find these schools where the concern for the kids is is so comprehensive, uh, that they do think about things that maybe a parent doesn't really think about.
0: Yeah, I think the, the like you mentioned, the issue of, of privilege, especially in the U.S., you know, it may be different in, in other countries, but when it comes to private schools and homeschooling even and unschooling require a certain flexibility in the, the family structure and, and the the time of the parents. And for instance, one parent not working, right. things like that. So that's that's a really important point that we have to keep in mind. Also, like you're saying, like being in the situation where you can go and find a school and choose a school also involves what's referred to these days as as privilege. So that's that's one thing and and this is actually I guess what I would say is one of the main reasons why I don't consider myself an unschooler in that sense because when I when I think unschooler I think it's a movement towards this becoming a more widespread phenomenon in practice. But I don't think that it's practical as a widespread phenomenon in practice. I might be wrong about that. So this is also a chance for any unschoolers out there, you know, who argue That it could be, we'd like to hear that. But I think the only the only answer for widespread education in a society is some kind of school. We shouldn't talk about schooling or choice of school, whether someone's a homeschooler, unschooler, whatever, going to you know sending their kids to a public school or private school. We shouldn't talk about it in a theoretical way, as if all of these options are open to all families. Right. That's one point I wanted to make. That's fair. Because for many families, they don't have even more than one option. Right. It's the public school.
1: There's not a community to get everyone together and 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 just create a school. And yeah, that's... Right, yeah. Yeah, that, right. that exactly. does come up from a certain perspective, whereas there's plenty of people out there who they don't have time to really look around and investigate right. these right. things.
0: Right, right. Or also, like implementing a homeschool or unschooling requires a certain confidence about your own expertise or knowledge right. or approach right which right. which is not reasonable to con- to believe that everyone is going to have that people who are inclined towards thinking about education and teaching and learning are going to probably be able to develop that even without formal training not everyone is has that inclination to think so deeply about these things and for them because they have other concerns then they just want to find a place where they can send their kid you know <laughs> and this thing can be taken care of okay so I want to get to this issue
1: of on a, on a large scale, you have to have schools. The large scale is the exact thing that I think makes schools struggle so much. I think it's the exact thing that makes it so that you can have 130 good-hearted souls trying to teach students and things yeah. feel oppressive. And it's because the as soon as you go to this larger scale, your number one concern is logistics. And logistics dominates everything when it comes to that. So it's sort of a paradox that we're in. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, I think school does bring a it, it does bring a paradox. And that's exactly my, that's my main critique of, of school and trying to establish a school is that a school is an institution. And we mentioned this in, in a previous episode when we were talking about how something that can get in the way of learning is the teacher's ego, right? Like right. if the teacher becomes the vehicle of learning and the teacher's interests and whatever the teacher wants becomes central in a lot of ways, then that can... Become an obstacle to the learning of that teacher's students, and on the larger scale, we mentioned that that the institution also has an ego, right? It also has its interests, its its desires, its image that it has to maintain, its identity, and that's one advantage, a serious advantage that. The idea of unschooling has over schooling is because unschooling removes completely removes this entity, this external secondary entity that doesn't even really deserve to have an identity in itself. It's not like a a sentient being or something. Just uh, I think in my mind, there's a lot of parallels with corporations here and and other institutions like religious institutions, uh, governmental institutions like the justice system or the the different branches of government, legislative body and executive branch, like those things, if if they're they have a job to do and it's an important job that everyone recognizes the value and importance of it but once it's established as an institution it has it takes on its own interests and 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 those can create an injustice regarding the actual function that those institutions are supposed to perform i don't know if that just totally went off in a different direction <laughs> (laughs) Because you're you're talking about logistics. What do you mean, I guess, yeah, what do you mean by logistics here?
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, it it becomes about moving people around and handling behavior, making sure everyone gets to a certain standard of reading by the time they're 18, which is really the only point you should be worried about any sort of, like, basic (laughs) reading skill. (laughs) But.
0: Well, you know, I could <laughs> might be an exaggeration.
1: <laughs> okay, it's a little bit of an exaggeration. But yeah, like do you have to have Shakespeare like handled by the right, time you're eighteen? Yeah. No. <laughs> no. Yeah. Or you ever don't. really. Although you don't. we love if you, Shakespeare. You know. If you're yeah, yeah. If you're into it, that's great. But like yeah, yeah do I need to whip you through it? No. All, all all that's doing is creating resentment. So like in the particular that we're talking about with Shakespeare Like how much Shakespeare resentment is out there because kids are just whipped through reading it and actually have no real interest in it. And so they say flowery
0: language and now I'm going on a soapbox. It has
1: nothing to do with.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So what you mean by logistics is the fact that this institution, this school takes upon itself the responsibility of managing space time, resources, and dictating to these human beings, these young human beings, how they're going to spend their time, what their movements throughout the day are going to be, uh, what their activities are going to be. Yep. And restricting, actually restricting them quite a bit from what th- what would be available to them, what choices would be available to them in, for example, an unschooling environment. Right. Right. And yeah, exactly. I think this hits the nail right on the head in terms of what's the problem with school? Like, And you know, this is a lot of the critique that we've been presenting up until now. Are those school structures like grades, uh, attendance requirements, these standardized assessments that distort the natural desire to learn and produces students, like I Mentioned before, who who they just want to know how to get an A, right? Right. They're just looking for the grade. They're just looking for the the high school transcripts that are going to impress the colleges.
1: Yeah, well, it's the it's the proper response when you're in a, a system that's mainly concerned with logistics. Is to right? right. They're trying to optimize. They're trying to help us optimize. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but but there's there's all these background things that they don't realize they're going on maybe or they're of the selection of students that don't have to worry about it but schools aren't really interested in giving everyone A's that's right <laughs> that's another thing that yeah. happens in a big yeah exactly system. it's
0: not good for the school to give everyone A's right right you know it hurts the credibility
1: <laughs> yeah it's good for everyone to pass the state mandated test but yeah but if everyone's walking out of there with a 4.0 or
0: a 5.0, then right, that's the credibility. <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah, right, and uh, and the same thing with the standardized test. If like on Stand and Deliver, all the kids from Garfield High pass the test and, and even many of them score higher than, than the other students. Then it puts the test, the the validity of the test in question. So, yeah, we have all these things as part of the you know the system and they seem to be requirements of, of the system and they're antithetical to learning, right, to, to true, genuine learning. And so, like I would say to you, Sean, like from the unschooling perspective, and I'll just put myself here in this discussion as the representative of unschooling, <laughs> you know. So just join us, Sean. Like, why are you holding on to this idea of school?
1: <laughs> <laughs> because a little bit of oppression is good. <laughs> I mean, <it's...
0: laughs> Okay, you're going to have to explain that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not what I would call real oppression. But the thing that I've harped on in, in a few of the past episodes uh, have been these uh, d- do- students do, citizens have like a sense of their position in society. And uh, and, so, and we've talked of, obviously about society's interests and, and pointing the students in a certain direction yeah. towards at least some things that the students will need to get, get along in society. And it should be, I think, forceful at times. Like it, it should be, there should be times where students, young people are told, no, you have to do this thing. You have to and whatever it is this this thing that you're neglecting which is important for you to be a citizen you have to do it and if that yeah. and, and i but i think the problem is is when real oppression kicks in is when if the student pushes back like really pushes back and <laughs> <laughs> and then the the oppression becomes real, and we just double down. No, because like yeah. to push back against something like that is a is a healthy way of understanding uh, what are your real interests. And if you're going to put something aside like facility with numbers, right? You don't. I'm not going to develop my my skills with numbers. I don't care about this numeracy thing. Okay, prove it. Sure. <laughs> like like <laughs> like let's be sure about that. And so Yeah, yeah. So I think a little bit of that kind of structure and and, and especially from people who care about young people. So and, and this yeah. is this is key, right? It's not to think about the young person's grades or what college you're going to go to or all of that. But people who've seen a lot of young people grow up, which teachers have, and to talk to them in a genuine way about, okay, you know, this is You know, this is what you have in front of you. This is what I think you need. Yeah. But then to back off, I mean, it's, you got to give them some guidance because we do live in a society and, but the thing, but but where I feel like it fails is it becomes inhumane because (laughs) you get a difficult student at the start of the year. By the end of the year, you usually have reached a detente with that student, Mm -hmm. right? Maybe yeah. in a good situation you have some sort of productive dialogue and you're getting a sense of where that kid is and, and how to help yeah. that kid out. And you maybe you know maybe you've right. met the parents a couple of times. Yeah. But then the school, because it's concerned with logistics, takes that student away from the teacher that he has built worked hard possibly to build a relationship with. And now you've got another teacher who's got a whole nother perspective on things. And I think that's where right. that's where it it really falls apart. And that's where the structure of it becomes real oppression rather than like this sort of pressure. I think that's what I should call it. I shouldn't say a little bit of oppression is good. That's just going to sound bad, but pressure, like real pressure, <laughs> yeah. real pressure about what you're neglecting is important. And that's where I think like, okay, how are you doing that homeschoolers? Like where's the where's the system to ensure that that the kiddos are Getting that pressure.
0: Uh, well, homeschooling definitely homeschooling definitely can have that. Oh, Dad, say homeschoolers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but if you're talking about unschooling, this so this is where I'm going to push yeah, back just on seems you like because maybe maybe it'll happen. Because I think not. you're yeah I yeah. think you're strawmanning unschooling a little bit here. Oh, uh, I'm because, sure like, I'm strawmanning unschooling because <laughs> <laughs> you're portraying it as if as the this like these children who are being unschooled have no adults in their lives to guide them or <laughs> right you know right or, or, or like. Talk to them yeah. about what's important, <laughs> right. know, or, right. or like what's out there in the world? Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. what I'm is like... your picture of unschooling? I think you know the, now. You <laughs> yeah. like if you don't want to guess... talk about this, just just let me know. You can you know we can edit this out. But I think your your picture of unschooling might be shaped by that kid in your neighborhood that you you told me about. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't thought about <laughs> him in years. But... <laughs> 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 oh God! But is it? Yes. Is it? Would you say that? That does that inform your your idea? Okay. I, <laughs> well, in case I've we decide through. to leave this this, and can you describe just you know without obviously giving away any identifying yeah. kind of information, but a little bit, just describe what that situation was.
1: Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's really hard to not say his name because it just is right in my mind. But <laughs> right. uh, it was a it was a young man, and he he was always. Coming around the neighborhood looking for work to do, and he was always coming. To, he, he was probably twelve or thirteen, and really uh-huh. rough. Like he, he was, uh, he <laughs> he came asking for work in an aggressive way, and uh-huh. uh, and I he clearly would,
0: didn't know how to like with the proper right, way of doing right, that. Right. <laughs>
1: And and so, well, he always came around. I don't know if it was his brother or it was his dad, but it was, it was a guy that was older than him by, you know, maybe just enough that he was his dad. <laughs> but <Yeah. laughs> But, like, also young enough where I thought, well, this guy, you know, I don't know what's going on with him, but he would never talk, right? So, uh okay. And, and so, as far as I know, this might have been the curriculum, right? You know, the the playing out of, of the curriculum, in which case it would be brilliant. <laughs> right. Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, I would try to throw work his way. Maybe that was I'd his always...
0: teacher. You're saying maybe that was his teacher, <laughs> right?
1: Right. <laughs> right. And I, I would try to throw work his way and and sort of hear him out on on anything he was concerned about. And so this is like, you know, I'm, I'm teaching at a big public school all week, and then like on the weekends, he would. Often come around and, and like ask for work aggressively. Well, <laughs> what was? Like, can you? What what would he actually say? I can't imagine the aggressive way of asking. He's for work. He'd be like, "Well, you got some weeds over there, and I, I'm going to have to t- pull those up for you. Yeah, and, <laughs> and, and and you're like, going to pay me like that or what? <laughs> yeah, I don't remember really how the the he was never he, he was never like charging a lot, and so it was never really yeah. I don't remember money ever really being the factor. It was more of just like, uh, like, how did we get this comfortable? <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. And and I would see him all the time. I mean, I would see him. I, I think I, I strongly suspe- suspected that he wasn't in school because uh, you know I saw him over the course of years to the point where I, he should have shown up at the high school uh, that we were teaching at, <laughs> right. and uh, yeah. and also I, I'd gotten warnings from other neighbors about about yeah. him. And I always, and right. I felt like, yeah, I understand the warnings because he's, you know, he's got, he's coming in, he's really trying to get work and you got this silent older guy in the background and the, the older guy wouldn't work. <laughs> like if he, yeah. if I ever gave him work, the older guy would just like get on his bike and bike off um, for a little <laughs> while. <laughs> oh, man. And then they, they, they so would funny. meet up later, uh, I guess, yeah. and, and make the rounds again. So yeah, I'd got warnings about him and, but I, I just, you know, I saw him, he's just a kid, right? But yeah. But this, this does not inform my, my unschooling. Okay, what informs my right. unschooling but, are yeah. the idyllic pictures I see of, <laughs> of uh, unschoolers posting these pictures of their kids in nature. It's wonderful. Like, I, I've got no yeah. problem with any of that. Right, right. And uh, I actually think a lot of unschoolers are pulling it off and doing a great job. I just, yeah. <laughs> I, I guess I'm like hyper cautious about this. Well, we can just like pluck them right out and things will be fine. Because, yeah, I think there's basic things that uh, that we got to put pressure on kids to learn because they they might be capable of learning it. And they won't have an opportunity to learn it otherwise. That, that's the right. That's the. You concern. mean like,
0: like when you say put pressure, do you mean that, for example, if you introduce algebra to a kid and they're resistant to it and, you know, they don't take to it at all? Let's say you give them an algebra book and make available to them some instruction, but they don't continue with it. Would the pressure come in the form of saying, no, you're going to have to do algebra like 30 minutes a day at least? Right. Or something right. like that. Is that what you mean?
1: Right. Well, I mean, that's how. <laughs> unfortunately, that's how it looks. I would say the pressure yeah. should. I imagine the pressure should look like a consistent interaction with an adult who says this is important, and right, uh, and you have to show up and point out why it's not important each day if you're not if you're not doing it. Yeah. And.
0: To me, it's it's you could it could be framed in the, in the sense of the difference between like soft power and hard power. Yeah, yeah, but but and that yeah, and the soft
1: power because there's no tools to force the kid, right? There should be no no tools to to coerce. Yeah, yeah. it just needs to be somebody genuinely interested. And here's another problem, right? Uh, that I think is unfortunately out there, although I don't think it's as widespread as it might seem to be. But a teacher that's genuinely interested in the subject does not have any trouble explaining to young people what's interesting about it. I mean, not not right. to say that that you can logically point to, oh, there's a, a utility to this, but you can express your interest in certain moments of that study, and that can be something that takes, uh, takes hold in someone else.
0: Yeah. So I would, to answer this, I would go back to the idea that the school is an institution. I would say I would say, the school is an institution necessarily, and it comes with all of the trappings of an institution. And the teacher is an agent of that institution. And this is for myself as a teacher and as an educator, this is something I become keenly aware of because I start off entering the classroom or the school, you know, as a as, as someone working at the school as an administrator or whatever. Normally, my default approach is not thinking of myself as an agent of that institution. I don't know why because it's pretty it's pretty obvious that that's what I am. Right. But I sort of uh, imagine a detachment from those things and that that I've been hired, for example, or I've been tasked with the responsibility of employing my knowledge and experience and judgment, not bringing to bear the, the judgment and dictates of the institution. But I would say that my experience has been that that's not a tenable position, that that sooner or later you, you a teacher comes up against the hard facts that his or her job is to be an agent of the institution. I, I think an unschooler would say this is the exact problem with schools, is that they are institutions and they are going to take on these institutional concerns that go against learning and even though even these these kind of benign and beneficial intentions that you're talking about which is to make sure that a student really has the opportunity to experience something before deciding that that it's not for them for right. example right Like these kinds of things very quickly as instruments of an institution become coercive. Yeah. Because the institution has a lot of concerns like the you know, if it's private, there's concerns about enrollment, about projecting a certain image of success. And a lot of the kind of freedom that students need create liabilities for the institution. And unschooling would be the only environment where those liabilities aren't there, where there's no there's no institutional concern overriding the concerns of, of the individual learner.
1: Yeah, well, and, and I'll say like right now in present day, it, here, here's how I would like to you know, state a cautious, uh, to be cautious going into unschooling. This is what I would like to say. Unschoolers, I understand that you're concerned about this institution and how it might restrict some of the important freedoms of a young person. But consider this larger project of civilization. Are you sure that you can present your child with the deep philosophical concerns that our country was founded on? Do you have the background in geometry to understand the the brilliance of early thinkers like Pythagoras and Euclid? Do you have the enthusiasm for literature to show what a story can mean to a young person? And how that is an mm-hmm. important tool for a, for a young person to have in assimilating himself into society. Yeah. That's what I would like to caution the unschoolers. But unfortunately, right. the, unschoolers G- the, <laughs> are, the unschoolers are winning right now because I can't say that schools generally are concerned with that. Concern with education yeah. from a philosophical basis is what I'm trying to present there.
0: Right, right. So the question is, can schools can schools be committed to the actual principles of education and learning to the point where and this is the, the the school that I can imagine that would would be able to to pull this off would be one that commits itself to some basic principles to such an extent that as soon as the institutional practices start undermining those, then the institution would see itself as becoming disqualified or are void, you know, of of credibility in the sense of implementing those. But that's pretty radical, you know. Like that's right. Yeah, that, that... that is radical. But it would be the, the way it could happen is is it would have to come from the parents.
1: It would have to come from thoughtful parents. It would have to come from thoughtful students who are in that system. Yeah. And and see where the see where the institution has become dominant and has lost its vision. Yeah. So I I push back purely on theoretical grounds right now. Yeah. If it's like, you know, if you're just going to a big, a big school or even a small school and you don't know anything about that school and it's just the school that you can send your kid to, it's a crapshoot. You know, it's a total yeah. crapshoot and it's going to be classroom by classroom different uh, based yeah. on the the teachers that are there because the institution is concerned with the logistical, with the logistics and efficiency. Now,
0: now I'm just repeating myself. <laughs> <laughs> if I can, let me let me give an example of like a of, uh, re- more recent experience that I've had that that solidifies for me the problem of the institutional mind and institutional think of, of schools and people who are agents of schools. And it, it also has to do with, with Montessori schools. And so I'm going to be gentle here because I love, you know, I'm, I admire so much the thinking and, and approach of Maria Montessori. And, and I recommend to any educator to read her writing and her work and you will be inspired because she looks <laughs> at education from from such a deep point of view that it's it's really, you know, like amazing to me. Like what I've experienced, and I currently work in a Montessori school, as as do you, you so, of course, you know, this is taken with that in mind. And uh, you and I participated in an online Montessori training course over the summer, and it was focused on adolescence. But what I'm going to point out is is broader than that. It doesn't just have to do with Montessori adolescent programs. It has to do with this, which every Montessorian knows that the one of the premises of, of Montessori education and approach has to do with the importance of the sensory experiences, especially at the very youngest ages the sensory experiences of being in the, the what you know they refer to as the environment which is means the classroom and interacting with the the adult who is not called the teacher tr- traditionally in Montessori, but the guide and purposefully referred to as the guide, because Montessori does have a, an approach to the child that respects the dignity of, of the child and, and the, the fact that the, the motivation to learn comes from within the child, right? So all these things are there. Now, what the, the point I w- want to make about the institution is that even with Montessori schools, you see that with the situation of the global pandemic that we're going through right now, that it really puts into question the viability of a Montessori classroom, you know, like, like a classroom that, that is founded so much, predicated so much on these things, like being present, you know, sensory experience, interaction, social interaction between people who are physically together. And, and for that to continue on in, an, in a virtual environment, at the very least, I would say that there, that there needs to be a question raised that like, is this actually good for kids or not? Right. Based on what our assumptions are about kids and about learning. Is this actually good? I know I'm not presuming to know the answer to that, but I have never in like in the interactions and and observations that I've seen of, of Montessorians with this regard. I haven't seen this question raised. I've seen it kind of indirectly being there like a concern about that. But the assumption that's there is like a Montessori school needs to continue on. Right. Right. And it needs to make itself relevant in this context somehow. But to me, like if you're really serious about these assumptions, you would say unless it's bad for the children. Yeah, right. And if you say if you say unless it's bad for the children, then you have to figure out is it bad for the children or not. But I haven't seen that that question being raised, and that in itself, to me, is is a manifestation of being agents of an institution. Right. 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 And it, and if, yeah, so and if it, Montessori schools can't do it, there's there's very little hope <laughs> for other schools. <laughs> yeah, I mean. I don't, when I oh, let me just soften that a little bit. <laughs> what I mean by hope is not like, you know, that the school can do a good job, but that it can so radically question its own assumptions. That's what I yeah. Mean by
1: hope. I, I think the trouble is, is is that what needs to happen for a lot of families right now is, and COVID's sort of a it's a it's a difficult one to gauge it on because it seems like about half the people are totally fine being around other people. Yeah, but yeah. Let's suppose things are a little worse and no one is willing to risk any interaction with anyone else. I think then it's not the right time for social situations, right? It's like here's, here's a reality that's placing restrictions on us as biological beings who can be harmed by this virus. So it's just not the right time. But then the school won't survive, right? That's the... Exactly. That's the problem is is that the school won't survive and so then you lose this this thing that that can be helpful is not essential but it can be certainly helpful a community of learners. You know, that's right. that's really what you're you're getting there is is that that strong But my, yeah, I, yeah, the Montessori right. approach puts students with multiple age levels, and I think right. it's it's the most natural way a child can see, oh, okay, how am I supposed to progress to this next level? You know, I see this person yeah. a year or two older than I am, uh, and he's reading all these books or doing all this math, and a child can see himself or herself. In that year or two,
0: yeah, you know. So even if if we put aside where we are right now, which is a kind of limbo status, where like you're saying, right. some people feel like we're we're overdoing it in terms of the social distancing and and precautions, and uh, right. some people think we're underdoing it, right? But right, if, let's right. say put that aside and just go back to March, April, and May, right, of of twenty 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 where people were in 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 lockdown and you know stay at home orders and you weren't even supposed to go to the store unnecessarily right you right. weren't supposed to you know meet your relatives and and all that because there was this idea that we need to just shut down all these these interactions so that this this virus my understanding was it so that the virus could be tracked and and eliminated <laughs> But I guess that, you know, that's not what happened. <laughs> but no, um, it's just about flattening the curve, I think. So. Yeah, right. The flattening the curve, but but like that's also an opportunity to do that is to figure out where right, the infections right. actually are. But anyway, we don't need to get into all of that. But but anyway, like in that in that circumstance, why does the institution of the school still feel the need to to continue? Like, for instance, why isn't this the idea that families are a lot of are under a lot of stress right now? This is going to be a difficult thing for them. Maybe it's it's better to, the, the school could offer, be available, like teachers could be available online. But it's not necessary for the school to present a certain program that as if it's the necessary replacement for what had been going on before that. Now, the answer is, because these, for a Montessori school, for a private school, that these parents are paying tuition. Right. Right. And like you said, like, okay, now the school could say, okay, well, we don't need the tuition. Then you're not receiving what you normally receive but then the, the, the survival of the school is in question right? The financially. So this is – now, I'm not saying what should be done or not be done here. But, but, like, the main discussion should be about balancing, like, the question of the financial viability of the school versus what's good for the students, what's good well, for the Well, and children. this is
1: – yeah, and this is where the real advantage of public schools came through. Is yeah. And much to the chagrin of parents, but some districts just shut down. Just, yeah, it's, right. it's over. <laughs> Right. It's, we'll we'll see. We'll we'll talk
0: in August about whether right. or not we can restart this. Right. And you 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 could stop paying your taxes, but the consequences for that are going to be much greater than right. Not paying your <laughs> school tuition. Right.
1: Right. right. The, the private institutions have. You rightly point out. This is where they show that they are an institution. And I, and I really am starting to appreciate your point about Montessori because if you. If you've put all of this investment in Montessori, which we both agree is a great a great environment for, for students to learn in, once that environment, once the accessibility of that environment is removed, then it can't just be duplicated at home. It can't be done the same way if you can't come into the environment. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate your point. And really, schools need to be in a spot where they should have some, I say should, because I'm pro-keeping schools. right? But there's got to be a way for a school to recover from that kind, of, that kind of blow. If everyone in the Montessori school likes the Montessori school, and then you can't do Montessori school, then I think the most unreasonable thing to ask is, oh, let's make Montessori possible at home. And, uh, or the most difficult ask is, let's immediately make yeah. Montessori, mo- the Montessori environment uh, recreated at home through computer screens, right? And, uh, however,
0: yeah, but I, I just want to point out, however difficult, it's not a question of how difficult or or not difficult it is. It's a question of how good is it for children or not. Right,
1: right, yeah, that, yeah. I was, and, and I was trying to get yeah. it back around to that. I was, I, I got, yeah. Oh, okay, out. sorry, yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, that, thank you for yeah. cutting it, cutting it short. <laughs> yes, it, it's is this is this good for the kids? Um, right. I know. And, I mean, that's, uh, yeah. th- that's something that would have to be investigated and observed over the course of years like Montessori did, like Montessori yeah. developed this idea of an environment after years of observation. And now we're fundamentally changing the the environment. It's going to take years of observation to see what's working for kids in a at-home virtual sort of classroom. Maybe it's just not worth it maybe it is yeah
0: my yeah right my my, my un unprefer- you know like non expert take on it is that it seems to be self evident that what the montessori environment is is a is a rich Physical environment for a child to interact with an adult who can facilitate their development, right? And right. that's what the home can be, right? right. But <laughs> but yeah. who's the adult? It's the parent. What's the environment? It's the home. No, no, it is,
1: it is. But but the the Montessori environment, you know, Montessori was also really concerned with a community of learners, right? For sure, for a right. little like even culture of of kids to like emerge right, but that
0: yeah that community could be could be done virtually right, but the, I, that's the, the thing that's repli- what I'm
1: saying would take years of observation. I mean. I, I don't think it's not going to develop the same way at all. I mean, it's that goes without sure, saying. Right. You're not on the you're not on the same apparatus. I just mean
0: in an emer, uh, on an yeah. I just mean on an emergency basis, right? Like like yes. if that's the thing that needs to be maintained, then but you could put aside giving lessons. You could put aside a lot of things and just have opportunities for for kids to see each other's faces and hear each other's voices and do some activities or whatever. But when it comes to the actual academic and skill development to just to assume right off the bat that the best replacement for having that in the classroom environment is to have it over the internet is it's now that might be the answer i'm not saying it's not but but i'm just saying like this lack of questioning that is what makes me suspicious of the institutional ego exactly because interacting with someone over a computer screen
1: is is a level of abstraction that Montessori is really careful about proceeding through concrete to a level of abstraction that's understandable right like a person on a computer screen is not a physical person in front of you a a person on the computer screen can't take the, the the same pencil that you were going for can't play on the playground with the child. And so to to understand that you get as a fulfilling interaction with a person presented on screen is a very sophisticated idea that right. most adults probably don't have right <laughs> so, right right so i i i think yes that's where i go to it is it's like this is going to take years to figure out how to do montessori if we're distanced yeah, yeah. years and so like even the emergency basis thing I, I question whether or not that's i mean i understand it it's yeah. worth giving it a shot because hey maybe the kids can handle it fine but, right yeah and i, mean, I I can speak for my
0: one child how that went. (laughs) And one thing I wanted to point out before, you know, like we've been on this point for a long time. So and I think that's largely I take responsibility for that maybe too long. But but just one other thing I wanted to point out about it is that when it comes to the short term survival of the school, it seems like the the benefit of having a small school, having a, a. Tight knit community of parents and and teachers and you know those who are managing and uh, the the administrators of the school. The advantage of that is that you would have the flexibility to survive through some other frame, you know, some other process besides, for example, for a private school, the payment of tuition in exchange for a very particular set of services, right? Like, for example, if everyone understands very clearly and and openly that the school needs to survive on the one hand, right, and yeah. So it will still be there when when we come out of this lockdown or pandemic. Then w- there needs to be some way for that to happen, right? Right. And here here are the needs of the institution just lay out lay them bare. You know, not like like I guess this this conflating of the needs of the institution with the needs of the child to me is is dishonest. Yeah. So like if 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 the institution does have needs and those are real needs and and people value that institution then those needs should just be addressed directly not as children's needs but as the institution's needs but i don't i'm not so sure that that's being done well no i don't i think the reason it's not done is because the institution
1: is like a even a really focused on the child institution which yeah. montessori schools tend to be it's easy to just get into this habit of well what's good for the school is good for the kids exactly right? yeah, yeah. And, and and like that's it's been how Schools have operated for decades right. and not incorrectly, and this right. is something where where the need to analyze that and split it apart is is new to, to to a lot to a lot of us.
0: Right? Yeah. Yeah. So welcome to unschooling, Sean. We're glad to <laughs> we're glad to have you amongst
1: our ranks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's funny because I feel like (laughs) I feel like I'm going to throw the point that you made earlier right back at you, which is, yes, if you if you have the privilege, the confidence and the thoughtfulness to to do it, then I think there's a lot of good reasons to to not worry about school. Yeah. I mean, and and COVID has just laid that bare. But yeah. I think it's been there anyway. Right. You know, we started talking about doing this podcast before COVID, and then COVID just gave us a bunch of time to work on it. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but yes, your point is is that not everyone's in that position. That was your point earlier. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And <laughs> I, I, I guess it's too bad for me. You remember that. So I couldn't win the the debate here. Right, yes. <laughs> 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 yes.
1: Uh you yeah, you want it earlier on and, and, then, and then you assume the losing position. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes.
0: And so yeah, I want to make clear also for my, you know, colleagues uh, at my own school and 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 broadly in in other schools that yes that's exactly how I feel is that I think unschooling makes a lot of sense for a lot of families and even as an agent of the school that I work in I hesitate and I avoid telling parents that the best thing for their kid is to come to our school because I know that right. it, you, you can't say that absolutely and as a blanket statement and and schools right. should never give that impression because the fact is is that families have such different situations and different types of options and different kinds of concerns and and real things that they have to deal with. And they just have to be supported in making that decision that that makes the most sense for them because of the shortcomings of of a lot of these institutions like public school. A lot of private schools are also... And, but what we want, the reason why we, I still believe in school, and I think this is applies to you too, Sean, is because we believe that ultimately that has to be the solution for society. Yeah.
1: It's, 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 it's got to be there in terms of getting everybody to, to a level. But that, but that's just it, right? <laughs> it's about raising everybody up. It's not about separating people into grades, you know, and into and classes and into, yeah. I mean, <laughs> everything about, The way it's uh, done is it's about separating off the best. Yeah. Right. Like, and you you can let the colleges do that. Right. I mean, that's fine if they want to play that game. And and this is, you know, I I, I realize I I focus a lot on students in crisis, but that's impactful. And when you've been teaching a long time, you've, you've gone through failing students in crisis. Yeah. And you start to think, well... (laughs) sometimes you have to blame yourself but sometimes it just doesn't make sense why Something that the institution is doing, it seems to be like working against a child. Yeah. And and so that's where you see it. But then I think you see it in a l- lower level with a lot of children. And it creates general resentment or skepticism about learning, right. about the institution of schooling. And then it, I don't want to revisit everything. But while you were talking, I was envisioning the biggest thing we lose. Okay, the number one thing we lose if schools shut down or if everyone starts unschooling is the incredible wealth of knowledge that, teachers have not so much about their subject area but about how children are yeah. uh, and how children proceed through life right do you understand how many teenagers i've walked through teenagerdom right. yeah and and yeah and i think that's valuable i think that can be valuable to parents in a lot of ways yeah. some parents don't need it some parents have no problem with teenagerdom but that's where I feel comfortable, right? Right. Right. And then other teachers that my child, my six year old child right now, is blessed with a very good teacher who understands that age level. And mm-hmm. if it were just up to me to understand that age level, we would be in <laughs> we would be in a lot more there'd be a lot more tension right, <laughs> between right. father and daughter. Right. But she helps me through that, and so I think that's the when I when you were talking, it gives me this idea. Of, if it's like pulling students out of school is not so bad, but not having some sort of place for wisdom of of children, like the kind of wisdom that Montessori develops through just years of observation and yeah. trying things, there there's an enormous population of right. people with that kind of wisdom, and how how do we have access to that? If we don't have right.
0: schools, right, and provide the, the the space, or you know, the I was going to say venue, I don't, but that's not like a yeah the uh, the forum, the forum, it, it, yeah, it is. provide the forum for forum. those people to develop the, that experience and and that expertise. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. There has to be a place for the professional teacher, right, the professional educator, and that's another thing that that schools do. In the same way, I think we can make an analogy with with uh, medicine or hospitals. Let's say because there's a lot of problems, obviously with healthcare and the way it's structured, the way the incentives are and the you know, the way it's practiced. Right. And and some people may just get the feeling that this institution is so broken that it would be better for me to just apply my own knowledge about health and medicine rather than engage with this with this institution and then just let it die. Right. And right. Uh, it's probably not that bad <laughs> yet, but but it could get there. Right. Like it's 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 conceivable. But still, then it's just, you know, like every family f- for themselves. Right. Right. Now they could form like little co-ops like homeschoolers do. So I also sh- we should point that out that homeschoolers and unschoolers, they form communities right. that have a lot of the benefits of of school communities. But yeah, just to to give up on something as a as an official and formal uh, institution that's available to everyone in the society is to move more towards privilege, you know, and, and differences in people's lives based on right. on what resources they have. And and that's dangerous. You know, it's also a reason why, you know, I would say also is that if if the best parents, meaning the the most enlightened, the parents who have the the the, the best understanding of learning and development of children and what they need leave the schools and and begin unschooling, then and that makes the the remaining families involved in that even more vulnerable to to the abuses, the possible abuses of institutions. <laughs> it reminds
1: me of magnet schools, right? Yeah, <laughs> this is this is a whole other deal. But the but yeah, you 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 can quickly run into a problem of taking away important aspects to to a school population if if everyone with privilege suddenly leaves. Yeah. However. <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to do in the United States? Yeah. I mean, I mean it's, you know, it's. Oh, hell. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know.
0: I don't know what to do with that. Sorry. That I, I feel like our discussion has left you in a bad place, Sean. <laughs> well, I, think, I mean, I'm
1: like i really I really like my school. we're at work, and i'm like Oh jeez what what are we gonna do now yeah like, <laughs> the, you know the things that we say it's not like they've been uh put it's not like they've been clarified in our minds for years it's just there's been some concern right and that's right. why we talk about it yeah but it's going to have immediate effects on how i interact with students and and you know i, I gotta uh, yeah i mean i have an obligation and, and a duty to the community that i'm committed to but yeah right this, as this we all, all yeah 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 as we all do and i think that's that's the real difficulty yeah Is figuring out how to how to do it Especially right. now, because it's already desperate enough, and then we come along and we're like, we should just question the assumptions <laughs> fundamentally. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's, COVID's not enough. Let's just like. Well, you know that's what that's what the uh, the pep talk is, right? Is that. This is a an opportunity, you know, and I don't I don't mean just from us, but like in general, is that there's those who are feeling hopeless about this, that it's the obstacles are insurmountable, and then those the optimistic ones say this is just an opportunity, you know, to face some challenges that are going to make us grow and s- develop and stronger and smarter about what we're doing, and that's I think that's exactly in that vein uh, is is why we're having these discussions.
1: So this is a time for us to grow and become stronger. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's. That's where it is, All right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so we do agree that school is is needed, is, right? Is that what we're agreeing on? <laughs> that we should grow and become strong. Oh yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, definitely. Obviously, you you know we've covered a lot of topics here, and some of it there's a lot a lot of points of view and and points that that we've neglected. So so to our listeners, we ask you to uh, engage in this discussion with us, connect with us on Twitter or Instagram, or just send us an email, because we'd love to hear from you. You know, any thoughts or feedback that you have about what we've discussed today or what we should cover in future episodes.
1: Yes, thank you. Let us know if we've gone off the deep end.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, you can be nice about that if you're going to say something (laughs) like that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Yeah. Thanks, John. Yes. Thank you, Sean. And thanks to our listeners. We'll look forward to the next discussion.